Rise above, train hard, dream big. The RTD Podcast with Tam and Dez. Welcome to another episode of Rise, Train, Dream. We are your hosts, Tam and Dez, and we have a special guest with us today, Mark Gregg. So Mark is a scout with the NHL. It's very exciting to have him on our podcast. So he's going to give us some insider tips on what you should be looking for if you are a young hockey player or a parent of a young hockey player and you have goals of getting into the NHL. So welcome, Mark. Yes, welcome. Yeah, maybe if you could just take some time to introduce yourself and go through some of your background, uh, that would be great. All right, uh, currently scouting for the Philadelphia Flyers in the NHL. I've been in the scouting sector for 15 years. I live in southern Alberta, travel the globe from there, which can be challenging at times, but uh, find a way to make it work. Stayed in the Philadelphia Flyers organization after playing with their group for parts of five seasons. Uh, played 17 years pro, so hockey has really been my life for the last 32 years. Uh, <clears throat> have enjoyed every minute of it from a player to management perspective, and uh, have really enjoyed the journey of watching young players uh, climb the ladder and have the uh, challenges that they face throughout uh, their journey. Nice. So is that what made you get into scouting then? Just It was a part of it. The uh, last few years I played, I was in a leadership role as an older player, and I really enjoyed watching young players come in and spending time with them and watching them progress and, and face adversity and trying to use my experience to help them uh, manage that. So there's only so many sectors you can go in after playing, whether it be coaching or development or upper management. Uh, but the scouting felt like a good fit for me, being able to evaluate talent and... Uh, and spend time with young prospects and, uh, and kind of watch them grow. Yeah, that's awesome. So kind of in saying that, um, <laughs> for a young hockey player, when should they start taking things seriously if they want to play at a higher level then? Well, it's a great question because there's a lot of single sporting, as I'm sure you guys know at a young age, whether it be uh, tennis, soccer, baseball, hockey. I, I actually don't believe that the hockey journey uh, needs to be dialed in at a young age. I think multi-sporting up until 13 or 14 is really positive for a lot of different athleticism. Uh, I think that sports cross over cognitively and how you do things and how you approach them and they can be beneficial to hockey. But to answer your question, usually around 13 or 14 when you become a Bantam player, um, the journey starts to take a little bit more of a significant step in regards to commitment, level of play, uh, that's about the time when the junior teams start to evaluate you, whether it be Junior A or the Western Hockey League teams. There's the Western Hockey League draft at the age of 14. Uh, not that it's the be-all, end-all, but a lot of players are selected and their journey starts to begin with an independent organization. Uh, 15 and 16, uh, if you're not drafted, you're still being evaluated and have that chance to grow into a Junior A or a, or a Western Hockey League position. So. I think around 14, 15, 16, uh, the commitment has to elevate, and I think you do start to spend more time uh, on focusing on hockey. Hmm. Nice. Um, So at what age do NHL scouts start looking at young prospects, and where do you look for those players? Do you hit their house games or their rep tournaments or... 
Where do you start? Yeah, the NHL scouting industry is starting to scout players at the age of 17 when they enter their first draft eligible season. Not that they have to be selected in that year, but that kind of starts the journey or the book on what that player is doing, how he's progressing, regressing, um, what steps he's taken. 17, 18, and 19. And most of the scouting is done at the major junior level or the junior A level. We do get the odd player that's maybe playing a higher end midget somewhere, uh, Minnesota, Massachusetts, some of these areas that uh, have higher hockey programs in that regard. But a lot of the scouting is done at the junior A or the major junior level. We scour the league play uh, primarily. Uh, and then of course, postseason, uh, a lot of our significant evaluations go into playoff time when the stakes are higher, mm -hmm. uh, the competition's maybe elevated and you get to see players face the same players consistently uh, at a higher level. Hmm. So it's not very common that someone would come right out of like a minor hockey like get scouted out of minor hockey, they'd have to kind of make it to that middle level? Very rare. Um, a lot of the minor hockey scouting is done by the junior A, major junior. They elevate from minor hockey into those programs and then that's where we start to do our evaluations. That being said, there's higher level hockey school or uh, high school hockey in Minnesota, Massachusetts, some of these states and a little bit in Europe. So. Uh, not commonplace, but uh, it can happen from time to time. We call them outliers where their journey is maybe gone down a road less traveled and, uh, and not been on center stage as much as these other kids are at the junior level. Gotcha. Yeah. So funny story. I had been talking to some other hockey parents in the last few days just saying like, oh, we're, you know, we've got this interview lined up. Is there any questions that you have for somebody of this level? And one of the funny things I got was, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. It, it just depends on who you know and what family you're from and what type of connections you have. And it doesn't even matter if you're a good player or not. Is there any truth to that? Well, not at the highest level. The National Hockey League uh, finds and tries to develop the best hockey players available. Uh, connections and uh, who you know at that level will do very little. I think sometimes in minor hockey, in the younger levels, if parents are connected with coaches or maybe people in the hockey, in the minor hockey system, sometimes I think that uh, politics may come into play as far as putting players in positions that they might not be <laughs> capable of. But uh, at the highest level, um, we're drafting the best players globally for the right reasons and with the right intentions. Nice. nice. It's kind of hard to fake that, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> Yeah, at the highest yeah. level it would be. I mean, you, there's a certain skill level, a certain stature, a certain uh, level that just has to be, uh, you have to be capable of to, to start that journey. Yeah, so speaking of skill level levels mm -hmm. and capabilities, what exactly is it that you're looking for in a prospect? We use an acronym called the 6S um, that kind of is a bit of a synopsis of what the evaluation takes place. So stature or size, skill, skating, sense, uh, we use a word called synergy, which be, in describing that it would be, are they coachable, what kind of a teammate are they, what kind of character they have. And the last S is called snarl, and we kind of use that as words that describe that are competitive, physicality, edge, um, all those kind of maybe deeper drive components that we like to see in athletes. Uh, gives them kind of a snarl that we like to see uh, when they compete at higher levels. 
So say like a player doesn't have all of them, but they hit most of them. Are you still going to maybe, you know, give them a chance? Yes, absolutely. Like it's rare that we find a player that checks all the boxes. I mean, it's, it's just not realistic, but we use that success as kind of a report card to say, Hey, here's where they are in each sector. Here's how we can describe them. Um, we always kind of use a bit of a formula that they almost have to have three out of the six. Like you, you can't just be a competitive big guy. You'd have to have a skill level or you'd have to have a skating dynamic that allows you to skate at the highest level. Or hockey sense is one of the most significant components that we evaluate. Maybe he doesn't skate that well, he's not that big, but he's got a very, very high hockey IQ and awareness and feel for the game. So we often say that they have to check you know, three of the boxes to kind of get into an area where we can say, hey, this is a player that has a potential to grow. This is a, a player that has potential to elevate his game. So uh, unfortunately, you know, the National Hockey League, the percentage of players that make it is, it's very, very low. I think it's 0.025%. So it's uh, not common for players to get to that level, but hockey can be so much more beneficial for so many different reasons, scholarships, education, Everybody likes to compete at a high level and challenge themselves. And uh, one of the things that I think is really neat about sports or hockey in general is the camaraderie of working with a team mm-hmm. day in and day out and facing challenges together and, uh, and growing those maybe special friendships and relationships that you don't get when you play uh, maybe an individual sport. I think that's something a lot of people don't realize is how important like character is. Yeah, certainly, um, you know, there's a car wash that the players go through at the NHL Combine every year where they bring the top 100 prospects in and they go through family background, they go through character, they go through a significant anatomical procedure where not only are we looking at fitness levels, but we want to know is there any potential problems that could surface in their body, things that they may not know about hips and shoulders. Um, but when they go through that car wash, I often find it interesting that, you know, we can certainly take their fitness levels and get all this data, but the deepest dive we do is often on character, trying to understand what makes the person tick. You know, do they have a really good foundation of morality and direction and, uh, and family background that can help them navigate through the, the process of uh, trying to become a professional athlete? Interesting. So... So once you found someone that you think is a good fit, then what does the process look after that? It's a pretty interesting process. Uh, this past July, we just had our, the 2022 draft. So all those players were selected. Um, the players that we selected, now that they've officially become our property and starting their journey with us, they go into a, what's called the player development sector. So we draft them from our sector into that development sector they go where we have a staff or a team that is linked to usually the position. So for example, in the first round this year, we drafted Cutter Goche fifth overall. We have a development staff that he's gonna to start to spend significant time with. He's a forward, so he'll spend a lot of his time with a former forward that we have on staff that's played at a high level and has the ability to help him uh, steer going forward. A lot of it is not only on ice, but it's off ice dialect and conversation, how he's feeling, how he's playing, little areas over and above what his coach has given him back in regards to feedback that we feel he needs to take steps in. 
um, making sure that he's comfortable with the organization identity and culture. And uh, really what it is is uh, keeping them in constant communication so that we feel the journey's going along the way we feel it should. And also he just has a comfort zone in knowing that, hey, I'm, I'm getting feedback from them. I know where I fit. I know where they want me to go. And uh, the development sector in the last 10 years has taken huge, huge steps where we really want to build the relationship from a young age after we draft them at 17. Because generally speaking, after they're drafted, they won't play on their hockey team for three or four years. So we want to fill that window of on ice and maybe even more importantly off ice, helping them uh, navigate. So you said it takes about maybe three or four years for them to actually start playing. What a, kind of what are they doing in that spare time? Are they playing kind of a lower league? Yes, exactly. Depending on where we drafted them, a higher-end prospect is drafted early in the first round. We do get 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds that jump into the National Hockey League. Very rare, but they do have that ability or talent that is uh, above and beyond that allows them to do so. But uh, a lot of CHL players or Western Hockey League players will play out their 18, 19-year-old year in that league. Then they would come into our American League, which is our affiliate system where we get them playing at the highest level outside the NHL, under our staff, in a competitive atmosphere, and continue to watch them grow. Uh, NCAA players will play one, two, three years, sometimes four at their uh, school where they're going. For example, Gauthier's uh, an NCAA player. Um, he'll spend a year or two there, then come in to join us. So each of them have their own journey that uh, we're aware of and that they've kind of chosen, where they use that two or three year windows to uh, to grow their game from an on-ice uh, standpoint, but also physically they need to do so much to their bodies uh, to enable them to play against men that have been doing this for years. And, uh, just physically much more stronger and mentally or cognitively that far ahead. Now, I guess from, I just thought of this as we were sitting here, like from a trainer standpoint, once they are kind of drafted there, do you guys give them kind of like a plan they should follow or are they going to have to figure, so say someone needs to build strength, right? That that they're just not that strong. Are they going to have to figure that out themselves or do you guys, like does the team give them something to follow? Yeah, great question. Again, the last 10 years I've found that the NHL and all the teams and franchises, some may be better than others, have taken significant steps. So part of that development sector is not only the helping the player navigate on ice and off ice emotion and stuff, but we have a strength and conditioning sector to it where the conversation started right after the draft where he's undersized, he's physically behind, he's underdeveloped. We want to make sure that we are taking part in the training program and it pretty much starts from there, from in the season, which is kind of a lower maintenance type approach. But the summers often, we'll, have the, we'll bring the player right in for eight to 10 weeks. They train with our, right at our facility with our uh, strength and conditioning staff. And we only not only are able to help monitor them where they're going, but maybe impact them to you know, get them where we want them to be physically. And, Sometimes that journey, depending on the player, as we all know, everybody matures at their own pace, can be four or five years, and some are, you know, at the age of 18, just ahead of the curve, and you know, we help them kind of manage it as opposed to grow it. That's good to know. Um, maybe this is more from, like, a parent standpoint. You know, what, what are the costs associated with all of that? 
Well, when you get to the highest level of the National Hockey League, you're in good fortune because they'll take care of everything as far as bringing you in and, and putting you in our facility, using our resources as far as the strength and conditioning coach. You know, some teams will even put you up with another player where they can uh, help you get through the summer. But uh, a lot of them do sign their first NHL contract, get that signing bonus, and gives them the chance to, to use them, their funds accordingly. But uh, the minor hockey journey, that Bantam midget um, type age, or I guess the U16, U18 we're calling it now, uh, it falls on the parents and the kids, not only financially, but uh, you guys maybe see it from a commitment standpoint. There's just 15, 16, 17 year olds that are more committed than others. But I always feel that if they can start the habits and details of training at a young age, and have the understanding of how much it can help your performance. Um, it's a segue into us where it's just the transition so much easier. Mm -hmm. And I think I've noticed too that I think it comes down a lot to coaching. Like, you know, the teams that had a really committed <clears throat> coach, the players were more committed. Uh, absolutely. Seems. I think the coaching and the knowledge that they can provide, uh, you know, a lot of young players. I don't think they understand, first of all, the work ethic or the commitment, but then they need the direction on making sure they're sports-specific training. Like hockey, as we know, it's a lower body core type sport. So you want to be committed to doing the training, but you want to be doing the right type of training and making sure that what you're doing off ice translates into making you a better player on the ice. And we laughed before hockey's come so far that we had guys doing bodybuilding type stuff. We look great, but the Europeans were ahead of us. They were using more effective training. Didn't look the part like we did, but certainly much more stronger on the ice, much more balanced. And uh, I think that the game in North America has really grown from a training standpoint and making sure that you're doing stuff off ice that translates to making you a better player on the ice. Yeah, even we have seen the change in the last few years between um, in-season, off-season training and the types of exercises that you are doing. Um, make sure they're sports-specific and they're gonna enhance your performance. Uh, what is one thing as a scout where you're just like, oh, hell no, there's no way that I'm giving this person a chance? Like, what is it, like, your biggest turnoff in a prospect? Well, we touched on character, I know, and. It's really hard to draft young players, albeit they may be talented, but are, uh, you know, reckless or immature off the ice. Um, there's a commitment off the ice that's pretty significant to us, again, that follows into that character department. We like guys to have fun, and we, we're not saying you can't pick your spots to, to uh, you know, be social and, and have as much fun as you can, but, you know, there's a... There's a commitment that we have to have kind of an expectation where, you know, the off-ice lifestyle is going to give them a chance. Uh, the rock star lifestyle in, in sport or hockey, it, it makes it really hard on our industry to say, hey, let's take a chance on this guy. It's, it's probably one of those uh, hell no type approaches yeah, for us. Yeah, I can uh, see that. A character. Yeah, so none of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll type. Yeah, lifestyle. and there has been kids... Uh, you know, again, when we do that deep dive on their character where there's just a threshold where you say he, he'll never get there, he can't figure it out. But there's kids that 
we've drafted where we've thought that we could get them into our development sector, um, make sure they get surrounded by good people, good environment. And sometimes, as you guys have probably seen, it's, some kids are just immature and you feel they can work their way through it. But there are those uh, rock star type approaches that uh, it just makes it too challenged for us to invest the time and money to say, hey, he's, he's going to work his way through it or what have you. So. Yeah, I guess that it is challenging to say, well, you know, maybe we can change somebody and invest into that person time and money. But then you also run the risk like of that one person tainting some mm -hmm. of your other people and then it becomes toxic and then it's probably better to deep dive and really investigate beforehand. It is. Yeah. It totally is. And, um, you know, poison gets in and it drags other kids down misery loves company all of a sudden there's three four or five kids venturing off on down a road that they probably shouldn't be and uh and time and money consuming like we want to invest time and money in players that are committed to reaching their ceiling and whether that ceiling sometimes doesn't make them a philadelphia flyer for us at least we've both done our part to make sure that the athletes maximized everything they could and uh and give themselves a chance to to be the best they can be and uh, for young kids that are you know reckless and wild and um, nothing wrong with that but probably not a spot a player that we would uh, go down the road with yeah and then another thing i've noticed is each team seems to have their own individual culture and values and values yeah so is it anything like are you directed from the Philadelphia Flyers to look for certain characteristic traits in players yes absolutely every team has their own identity culture um, how they want to be perceived how we like to be uh, saw through from not only the hockey world but young players parents and players themselves so it's a pretty generic approach in the sense that at the end of the day, we always talk about we're just looking for good people. Um, and, you know, when you do that deep dive, you can usually get to the bottom of it uh, one way or another and find out as much as you want to know or, uh, about the player and his habits and details and his mindset and, and where you feel he can get to. So uh, it's a big part of, uh, I think, most teams' culture uh, in all of sport. And uh, for those kids that maybe don't fit it perfectly, but you think you can bring them into your environment and impact them and, and steer them down the right road, that can be rewarding. But again, there's that threshold where you just say, I don't think we can work with this player or this young kid. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Something, this is just a random question. Seeing as you've been in the scouting for quite a while now, is there a prospect you know that you scouted and you were just proud of? Like, yeah, I scouted that guy. Yes, it happens. Uh, from our scouting sector, you know, our report card is the players we pick and how they go on and how they do. So um, a player, we, we have a staff of about 15 globally, and we work together to get through everybody's evaluations. But a lot of time you may have a personal connection to a player, or he's drafted more so from your area where you saw him the most. Or maybe he was a player that the staff had, uh, and a group of 15 was split on seven or eight each way and you may have really made a push and, and you do get that reward in the sense that the player becomes a, a Philadelphia Flyer and, and goes on to have great success. So <clears throat> Calgary Hitman in the Western Hockey League, Travis Sanheim was a player that I'd scouted all year. Again, it was a collective group effort, but my reporting on him started uh, so early. Um, that I felt a little attachment in, 
watching him grow on the journey he took and ultimately being able to call his name on draft day where he's been a he's been a Philadelphia Flyer now for five or six years it's uh it's a fruit of uh, our labor and uh and something that not only are we evaluated on but uh, it's quite rewarding to see that's awesome so you're like you personally you scout mostly in Alberta I scout globally but western Canada is my primary area so I'll go all over the Western Hockey League, Manitoba through BC. Uh, of course, they have the five US teams that we spend time watching too. And then of course, I'll jump into Ontario, Quebec Hockey League, USA. And then I spend about five or six weeks a year, depending on tournament play in Europe, uh, most often Finland, Sweden, uh, not Russia so much right now, uh, Czechoslovakia, or Czech and Slovakia, uh, a lot of the hockey countries that uh, continue to develop and grow players and, uh, and continue to, to draft them. Sounds like quite the fun lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of travel. It's, I, I always I spoke with a group of scouts uh, a couple of weeks ago, trying to give them a little bit of the landscape of it. You're about 200 nights a year in a hotel, and on some given years you can be between 70 to 100 flights. So it's a it's a lot of travel to get to see the players and uh, from year to year depending on where the players may be some years there's more higher end players in europe sometimes they're right here in alberta sometimes they're in the usa uh, you just don't know from year to year where you're going to be spending a lot of your time um, so you're always navigating demographically where are we going to be going and uh, away you go awesome yeah I like it. Um, is there any one area of the globe that you think puts out higher level hockey players than any other area? It's pretty evenly scattered, but I would say this, that some countries that were maybe behind in data as far as growing young players and, and getting them to arrive in the NHL, some countries are, are taking steps. The USA continues to, at the grassroots level, grow. We always do a great job here in Canada. It's part of our culture, as you guys know. It's a, it's a pretty significant sport. Slovakia right now is taking major steps. Germany's taking steps. Where we're starting to see more higher-end players. And it, it leads you to believe that at the grassroots level, they're doing more or they're getting more players into the sport. One way or another, they're growing it bigger. And, uh, and it's made for great global... Uh, competitiveness uh, for sure especially when we get into these international terms I think there was always a mindset that Canada should win these tournaments and or US should be in there it's not the case anymore Russia Czechia Slovakia the world junior this year in July where I was at spent significant time Finland was really outplayed Canada in the gold medal game Canada did win in overtime but very very competitive game could have went either way and uh Finland was right there. Good to know. Yeah. Well, uh, that's all the questions that I have. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Me? No. I think that uh, pretty much answered anything I had. Yeah. Yeah, well, we covered a lot. It's fun. And, uh, some insight from my vantage point anyways. Really enjoyed uh, John. Yeah, we appreciate nice. your time. Thank you very much. And yeah, I'm sure... Awesome to have you here. I'm sure some people got some value out of this. So appreciate really cool. it. Yeah, yeah. If you want to be a pro athlete, listen up. <laughs> yeah, time to level up. <laughs>
All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, to another episode of Rise, Train, Dream. We will catch you later. See you next time. That's a wrap for today's episode of Rise, Train, Dream. If you loved this podcast, screenshot this episode and share it out to your social media accounts. Or follow us on Instagram at train underscore with underscore town. Or follow Des at dh.pt underscore muscle underscore strength to show your support. Take care, you guys. Until next time.